Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at the power of prevention, and we'll see how relatively simple practices can actually help you live longer and help you live better. To help us in the dialogue, I've got two great folks from the California Rural Indian Health Board, Julie Villa and Geneva Sorensen. It's great to have you both uh, with me on today's show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, David. We had the privilege of meeting, actually, at the crib offices in Sacramento, the California Rural Indian Health Board offices, probably a week or two ago, and I enjoyed our meeting there. Geneva, you and I, of course, first met at a national conference called the American Public Health Association meetings, and it's been a privilege really just to get a little bit better acquainted in both those venues about the work of the California Rural Indian Health Board. So before we talk about some of the individual projects that you're involved with, we want to get to know each of you just a little bit. First, Julie, tell us a little bit about your background and your work with CRIB. Sure, Dr. DeRose. Um, I have been with CRIB for 18 years now. I started as a tribal Head Start um, teacher on my reservation, the Yurok tribe. And then I moved down here to Sacramento to further my education and I took the role as the injury prevention coordinator, working on um, with IHS on an injury prevention grant, tribal motor vehicle, and elder falls. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on that for the past eight years. I've done numerous things from the Indian Health Service Fellowship, where we traveled out to very rural areas. I've created coalitions with numerous tribes in California. I've worked on laws, uh, forming child passenger safety laws, ordinances around seatbelts, trying to um, create bridges between tribal and non-tribal communities, uh, and numerous things across California. This is really exciting, and I know as we dive into the show, we're going to be speaking about some really practical things about injury prevention, about your work and in that regard. And, of course, you carry the title of health education specialist now for CRIB, so that means your work is a lot broader than just injury prevention at this point, right? Yes. Well, very good. Thanks for giving us that uh, introduction. We've also got Geneva Sorensen with us. Geneva, tell us a little bit about your background and your work there with the California Rural Indian Health Board. Yeah, thanks. Um, I don't have quite the the length of time at Crypt that Julie does, um, so it's a really privilege to work with her. Um, I've been in the field of public health for the past six years, um, and most recently I was a community health educator in Ethiopia with the Peace Corps, um, and when I came back to the States, I was really interested in um, finding some work working with tribal communities, um, and I was blessed to sort of come across this job um, working for CRIB as a project coordinator. Um, And I've been here for the last year, um, and it's been a really fabulous experience so far. So you have some deep roots, even though they're not all that long, and working with indigenous people groups, not only in the Americas, but also overseas. Right, yeah. 
which is kind of why I was interested in um, in finding work like that here in the States as well. Well, that's exciting. And you're the project coordinator for an exciting project. Many of our folks who are involved with public health in Indian country have heard of the particular program you work with, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a cooperative agreement from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, um, and it's called Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country, um, also called GWIC sometimes for short. Um, and the funding is, is solely from the Public Health and Prevention Fund through the Affordable Care Act, and um, it's focused on chronic disease prevention in tribal communities um, and doing that through policy systems and environmental changes, so community-based uh, public health programs focusing on trying to reduce the impact of chronic disease in tribal communities. And, of course, that was the context in which you and I met at the American Public Health Association meeting. There was, a, I would say, a, a fairly good-sized meeting. I mean, some of the breakout sessions are fairly small, but there was a very good attendance at the session where they were talking about this Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country program. They had folks from the CDC there. You were one of the featured speakers and one of the, the breakout session uh, coordinators. So I found that uh, really exciting to hear about what you were doing in California and uh, people were doing throughout the country. Right. It's a really exciting piece of funding. Um, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work all across the country. Um, and we feel pretty blessed to have gotten this funding. And actually, California was lucky enough to get two awards, Cribs, um got an award, and then also United Indian Health Services uh, was awarded funding um, through GWIC. So we'll be talking more about this uh, Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country program and Geneva's role with it, some of the exciting things that are happening in California, and things that you can translate into action in your own tribe, in your own community. We know we have many folks who tune in who are not Native listeners, and for you, I think you're going to find today's show fascinating because we'll be speaking about things that impact very practical things, whether it's diabetes or other chronic diseases, whether it's injury prevention, some very practical things that everybody can really put in practice. Some of that may reinforce things you already know, other things may be actually new to you. And we've got some exciting initiatives that we'll be sharing with you, too, that you want to perhaps take advantage of. Before we go to all that and talk about things that are everyday things that everybody can use, we've been talking about the California Rural Indian Health Board, CRIB, and especially folks who are not all that familiar with how things work in Indian country, they may have heard me interview guests before on the show from various Indian health boards throughout the country. Could you ladies kind of bring us up to speed as to what that's all about, these health boards that exist in Indian country in different places of the country? Sure. So CRIB was formed in 1969, um, and the board is made up of tribal leaders throughout the state of California. Um, Based off our name, most of those tribes are from more rural areas, um, and California is unique in that it has 109 federally recognized tribes, uh, with many more in the process of becoming federally recognized. And so what our health board does is it allows an opportunity for those tribal leaders from often smaller tribes um, to come together and have a unified voice to advocate for different funding, to collaborate on health initiatives. Um, and work together to try to improve the health of their communities. Um, so that can be done through um, legislation and policy and advocacy on state and federal levels. 
Um, it's through running grants and public health prevention programs. It's uh, managing health systems and tribal health clinics. Um, so it's really this, this really broad uh, scope of work that the health board at CRIB, at least, um, works together to try to um, improve the health of their communities um, by through collaboration and uh, resource sharing and, and other things. Well, thanks for that uh, practical overview. Anything from your vantage point, Julie, that also you think needs to be mentioned either about CRIB or about how the different Indian health boards work together throughout the country? Sure. So I would like to add that CRIB, we actually work for our tribes. And so what our main goal is to build the capacity of our tribes so they're able to seek grant funding, um, write fabulous grants so they're very competitive with all other agencies, tribal and non, um, as well as any sort of technical skills that we can possibly provide them from simple things like PowerPoint, um, public speaking, how to, um, how to lead groups, how to um, become certified technicians in numerous different things such as child passenger safety, um, being able to communicate with folks in regards to like safe talks, like suicide prevention activities. So numerous different things that we do, but we are here working for our people. Tremendous, tremendous. Well, let's talk about some of these programs and some insights that can, can help our listeners. Julie, you've been working in injury prevention. You've alluded to that a number of times. I think a lot of individuals, when they hear about injury prevention, they say, well, I mean, it's all pretty much common sense stuff. I mean, we don't need a lot of education. And yet, when those of us in the public health field look at really the staggering toll that injury places, not just on people in Indian country, but everyone, and especially our most vulnerable uh, citizens, our, our younger folks in our communities, it's really a sobering fact that we're not doing well enough as individuals about preventing injuries. What kind of key messages do you see when we talk about that topic, Julie? So injury prevention is early intervention. So anything that we could possibly do to educate our folks, our families, um, educating the children about injury, um, staying buckled up, always sitting in a car seat, and sometimes our, our young ones are very good advocates for themselves when they're advocating to their adults, to their parents, caregivers, mm -hmm. as well as trying to provide that education to our adults, our families, to be that positive mentor, that role model in the lives of our children. And what I see a lot lately is there are a lot of elders that are taking care of not only themselves and some of their um, things that happen to them as they age, but they're also taking care of our, our youth. So, um, so any sort of early intervention that we can prepare our families for and help out as much as possible before things happen. So by providing car seats, by providing life jackets, um, teaching our families about, you know, first aid, CPR. And many of our areas that we work with are very rural. Mm -hmm. And so I also like to educate on response time. So if we know that if say in an emergency that we had an ambulance that could possibly come, but it could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Wow. What are things that we could do to prepare them so they can save lives prior to that? Excellent, excellent. Let, let's talk about that topic of car seats. And 
I think the challenge you mentioned is probably most uh, most critical, perhaps, with the grandparent who's taking care of the children. Because many times, parents may feel like they're up on all the regulations. They have the car seats, and sometimes the elders get in a position where they haven't thought through some of these things. Is that really a common scenario in your experience, Julie? Um, very common. So me being a child passenger safety, well, I I'm actually work for NIFSA, so National Highway Traffic Safety. I'm a certified instructor. So in that, I travel out to the rural areas, mostly the rural areas, and I have the ability to modify my classes to meet the needs of our elders. So say they had um, arthritis or they had limited mobility and they had a hard time doing installs, I can modify the class so I'm meeting the needs of even our elders so mm. they're feeling secure and confident when they're installing these seats. So one of the messages I hear emerging from our dialogue to this point is especially if you're a grandparent and you're planning some activity with, uh, with your grandchildren, be up on the current guidelines for child restraints, child passenger seats, booster seats, whatever the uh, age of your child is. And is there an easy place to access that information, Julie? So on our CRIB website, so at crihb.org, I actually have a page on there for injury prevention. And you can go to that site, and there are updated laws for California. Um, I have, and at any point, you know, somebody could contact me Things are a lot different, you know, on tribal roadways opposed to being on the public highways. Um, Not all reservations, rancherias, do they have tribal ordinances in place for child passenger safety, for seat belts, um, bicycle helmets, you name it. So that's kind of what I do is I go out to the tribe and I try to get an appointment with the tribal council and just let them know how important it is to develop these ordinances and, you know, because you think about the bigger picture. These families, if they get hurt, not everything can be cured at our smaller rural clinics. Mm-hmm. So then you factor in, we have to refer these clients out and usually, you know, say you're in a very rural area, you have to travel for hours. Mm-hmm. So the expenses get larger and larger and that all comes back into our small rural clinics. Tremendous, tremendous messages. We've got to step away. We're going to give you some contact information for our ladies. When we come back, we'll be talking with Geneva Sorensen, some very practical messages and lessons about diabetes and more. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit responding. 
respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with two of the experts from CRIB, the California Rural Indian Health Board. We've been talking with Julie Villa and Geneva Sorensen. Julie, before we... Uh, transition to speaking a little bit about chronic diseases and uh, speaking with Geneva, you were gracious enough both to give the CRIB website as well as making yourself available if people want to dialogue about some of these questions that may have come up about injury prevention, they just want a resource. But before we even give out that contact information, you're not just offering a service that you've never done before. You're quite well known in Indian country and beyond when it comes to injury prevention. Just just give us a little feel for your experience with helping groups. So I am an instructor for the National Highway and Traffic Safety Certification Program, which is housed under the Safe Kids Worldwide. Um, I have taught with UC Davis Medical Center. I also mentored with the California Highway Patrol. Um, for child passenger safety, I've served numerous times instructing even um, our new highway patrol students that come through their course. I have been with Indian Health Service uh, working on the injury prevention grant for years, um, working from not only just California but throughout the United States because Indian Health Service is everywhere. I have done uh, numerous webinars for some of the new injury health specialists that come through. So I've been doing this for years, and it's absolutely my pleasure to help anyone who has any questions. Tremendous, tremendous. So now, because of your work with the health board, I know you're funded, actually, to work with tribes, right? So if someone who's not Native says, well, we'd love to have you come to our community center, you may have more constraints as far as taking those invitations. Is that true or not? Um, well... It depends. So, you know, usually when I open up, say, a course for injury prevention, I open it up to the community. 
Mm-hmm. So my main goal is not only to protect my tribal kids and family, but my goal is to make sure that every child leaves safer than when they arrived. Tremendous. So give us again the website for CRIB where anybody, anywhere in the country, can access some of the helpful information you have. And then if you would be so kind as give out your email address or whatever contact you want to give so people can contact you. Absolutely. So the CRIB website is crihb.org. And my address is jvia, v as in Victor, I-L-L-A, at crihb.org. Okay. So basically, if you can remember the California Rural Indian Health Board, those initials are the website, California Rural Indian Health Board. And then Julie Via, it's just her first initial, J for Julie, the last name Via, V-I-L-L-A, at crihb.org. Okay. Well, thank you, Julie. We're going to come back and and talk with you about some other areas that you work in, but we want to uh, tap uh, Geneva's brain here for a little bit because chronic disease, just like injury prevention, is something that affects everyone. And of course, Indian country is no exception. You've been working, as you shared, Geneva, for a relatively short time, but you've still gotten some broad exposure to what's happening with the Centers for Disease Control and this Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country grant. Tell us a little bit more about the grant. What is it funding, especially in California? Sure. So um, the funding is kind of a unique opportunity So uh, because it's fully uh, funded by public health and prevention funds, and so it's really one of the first funding that really focuses on the prevention and public health part of things. Um, there's two different ways that you could be funded. We are considered a component two, which is where we are the awardee of the money, but then we sub-grant that money out to tribal um, tribes and tribal health programs all throughout the state of California. Um, and those are the organizations that are based off a of community health assessment implementing community programs uh, to prevent chronic disease. So. It's sort of developed by the community and implemented by the community, and we provide the support and training and technical assistance for them to complete those projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of its nature of of public health and prevention, uh, the funding is really focused on sort of having a little bit more of a macro-level approach, so a more community-wide approach, um, again, through those policy systems and environmental changes. Um, increasing access to different health services, improving team-based care and clinical community linkages, um, reducing the the use and exposure of commercial tobacco, um, improving access and opportunities for nutrition and physical activity. Um, And our communities are doing that through a lot of different strategies uh, based off of their community needs. Tremendous, tremendous. It's interesting, the range of things that you're dealing with, and I know you gave us a lot of technical terms, so some of the listeners are probably saying, okay, I mean, policies, systems, environment, what? I mean, this all sounds very advanced and very helpful, but they're (laughs) trying to grasp what some of this is. Let's narrow the scope just briefly, because you mentioned commercial tobacco and the concerns with that. First of all, I know it may seem obvious to us and to many listeners but why, when we speak about chronic diseases, are we concerned about commercial tobacco? Well, uh, 
smoking and using commercial tobacco can raise your blood pressure. It can increase, you know, obviously chance for cancer and other health um, issues. And so um, things like secondhand smoke. So thinking about when I say policy, right? So mm -hmm. if you make a personal choice to smoke, um, that's a personal choice. But if there's not a policy involved that talks about maybe how close to a building you can smoke or um, having tribal housing be uh, commercial tobacco-free, because that impacts the community or that impacts children or other people involved that aren't making that decision. And so um, that allows, you know, a little bit of public health, a little bit of safety. So not, not forcing anybody to make a decision, but sort of protecting the health of a community by having a policy um, saying you can't smoke right in front of a health center door um, mm -hmm. for people that might have asthma or that, you know, it can be a trigger for that sort of chronic disease. So there's a lot of different factors, and, and similar to exercise and nutrition, um, all of those things really play a big part into our health and keeping our, our bodies well and our minds well. And Many who've uh, been tuning into the show are aware that we're doing some work in assisting tribes, especially with diabetes. And I think it's interesting that often tobacco slips off that radar screen, but many of us know that nicotine actually not only increases the risk of some of the major complications with diabetes, like heart attacks and other issues, but it also actually worsens how insulin works. It increases what we call insulin resistance. So when we put those sites on commercial tobacco, we're actually looking at something that really cuts across many of these chronic diseases, not just the ones we typically think of, like uh, you, you mentioned, Geneva. Here's the question, though, about tobacco especially, and I'm kind of interested as to whether Crib has been involved with this. I'll just share your practical experience. It's happened more than once in my clinic. I'll talk with a patient who's smoking, and here it is, 2018. We're recording the show, and it'll be airing this year in a, in a few weeks from the time we recorded it. But um, I have patients that have been coming in telling me over the course of the last year especially in 2017, with new legislation in California adding to the tax on commercial tobacco in non-tribal settings. They said, well, I'm going to quit. You know, the price is going up uh, significantly on the cigarettes, and this is really motivating me to quit. Then I'd have other patients that they'd say, well, I'm not really worried about the tax because I buy my cigarettes uh, on the reservation or over at the rancheria or at this tribal facility, and uh, so the, the price is, is very inexpensive. Has there been some discussion about that changing financial environment uh, in California and how tribes can be involved in actually reaping some of the same benefits and still, oh, actually have their sovereignty as tribal nations? Well, I think, um, you know, it depends, and, and I think that's one place that uh, – where tribes and tribal communities have a choice. Um, so that is a, a strategy that some people are using as far as um, with this funding specifically about uh, limiting or changing the access to and uh, marketing of commercial tobacco products on tribal land. Um, you know, again, it's, nobody is forced to do anything. Um, it's a potential strategy that, you know, that tribes could do if that's something that's a priority for their community. Um, to change some of those laws or policies um, about access and marketing. Um, but again, it, it's, you know, every community has different needs and different um, 
and different priorities. And so uh, that's why this, this funding specifically is um, really driven by the community. Um, so they do a community assessment and figure out what's, what's their top priority. Um, and so that will come around um, differently for, for each organization, for each tribe, each community. So, Geneva, we're going to step away just briefly, but before we do, we want to speak about diabetes. In about 15 seconds, can you give kind of a quick overview of some of the key points you think we need to talk about so that our listeners will know what's coming up? Um, sure. Just talking about ways that you can improve your life uh, through simple lifestyle changes, um, promoting preventative techniques um, in order to reduce the impact of diabetes and self-management. Um, and linking your community with some of those prevention services. Wow, that is tremendous. You got my interest. I'm not going to go away as if I could. And we encourage <laughs> you who are listening in today to stay by because a lot of practical messaging about diabetes. Then we'll come back to Julie. She's got some other very practical tips for you that you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back right after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking with some of the team from CRIB, the California Rural Indian Health Board. In specific, we've been speaking with Julie Villa and with Geneva Sorensen. And we're speaking in this segment about diabetes. Geneva is going to lead us in a discussion looking at some important things that you can do individually, that you can involve your family with, your community with, your tribe. Before we go there, I want to remind some of you that are regular listeners, we have developed some special resources designed not just for Indian country but beyond, and it actually comes under the umbrella of high blood pressure. So high blood pressure and diabetes are kind of twin conditions, and we've been doing some work with tribes showing how this approach to high blood pressure, a natural approach, can also help with diabetes. So we have grant funding. So if you're a Native American, you can access these resources free. These include books and DVDs. All the funding is uh, refunded. There's some uh, inexpensive upfront fees we're talking less than $100 for for books and and DVDs, and you get all that money back through the grant terms if you use them. And you can get that information free on our website, compasshealth.net. And if you go to our free materials section, the second item there is seminar resources and drawing. Uh, You may have heard on a previous edition of American Indian Living, anybody, whether you're Native or not, can take part in a drawing. If you share your results running a program or using the materials in your own home, uh, we're giving out some $100 gift cards so you can take advantage of that. We'll probably mention that information again, but Geneva, you and, and my group, the folks at CRIB, were interested in making an impact in these chronic diseases, and diabetes is a huge one. Tell us a little bit uh, about some practical things that anybody can do that can decrease the risk of diabetes. Right. Well, I think one, the first important thing to to mention is that diabetes is preventable, right? So Mm -hmm. it's something that based off of the things that you do every day, your lifestyle choices, what they're often called, or or behaviors, um, really do impact your health, um, particularly related to chronic disease and diabetes specifically. So similar to what this our ACORNS project is funding, um, making changes in your diet, so improving your nutrition, you know, quitting smoking, uh, moving your body and, and being a little bit active, reconnecting with culture. So a lot of this funding is also focused on trying to do this chronic disease prevention through cultural ways. And so, for example, some of our grantees, like Julie mentioned, a lot of the tribes and tribal health programs that we work with are in rural areas. Maybe there's a food desert. So the closest grocery store um, with fresh fruits and vegetables is 100 miles away, two hours away. Um, And so some of our, our grantees are developing community gardens. And so they've created these community gardens, and they're trying to incorporate or plant uh, traditional plants and medicines um, to reconnect back to um, some of the food of the ancestors, um, and also just accessing local fresh foods. Um, Other people are working on developing a walking path, a safe walking path in their community so that their elders or that their community members have a safe space that they can move and and enjoy a social interaction with people and get outside and be connected to nature. I know some of those walking paths are aligned with signs that show – the names of native plants and species, mm. both in English and also in the local language. Um, so really trying to incorporate the, not just you're thinking about diabetes and your health in a physical way, but 
also connecting spiritually to your culture, to the creator, um, or whoever, you know, a higher power might be for you. Um, but really trying to think about your health in, in, a, in a holistic way. Um, I know a couple of our other grantees are um, using traditional dance as a form of movement or physical activity, so trying to encourage their community and offering classes to learn that um, and, again, be connected to culture and, um, and dance and move and, and be a part of that community. So there's lots of lots of different little things that you can do in your life daily um, to really promote your health and, and also encourage and promote the health and wellness of, of your family and the rest of your community at large. These are such important concepts, and whether you're tuning in today listening from the heart of Indian country, whether you're a tribal member in an urban area, whether you're not native and you just enjoy listening to American Indian living, what Geneva is sharing is really what the research is showing us, and that is if you do activity on a regular basis, this can make a huge impact. And I don't know what you ladies think about this. Maybe I'll tap into Julie on this question. But, Julie, one of the things that I do when I do public education or when I work with my patients is I try to talk with them about making a daily habit of exercise. And what I suggest is that they do something every day, even if it's only five minutes now, a lot of people listen to that and they say, well, this is really not optimal. Five minutes is not much. But I'm very interested in having people develop a habit of doing something that they identify as activity every day. So my question for you, Julie, from your work throughout California with tribes, do you think that's a message that really is helping anything? Or do you think I'm setting the bar too low? I'm, I'm giving you license. I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm ready to take the heat or to see that we're resonating on some level. Sure. So absolutely. Um, even five minutes of physical activity is better than nothing. I do see, especially many of our elders out in the communities, you know, there are things that they do that they really don't consider physical activity, but it is. Cutting kindling to start your fire I see elders carrying in chunks of wood to keep their fire going. I'm walking to the end of their driveway to go check their mail. Mm -hmm. um, up and moving around their house, any of that is physical activity, but just always giving them that positive reinforcement and giving them kudos, you know, when they're doing these things. Great. I mean, that's a great message. And Geneva, too, we probably should talk more about this, but a lot of these indigenous plant foods, whether it's the corn, the beans, the squash, some of those traditional foods that have been held in esteem throughout many tribal areas, not just in California, but, but far beyond, or whether it uh, has to do with the community garden that may feature some other indigenous things that are just local to that tribe, this emphasis on plant foods is getting a lot more attention in the diabetes community. How important is that in your eyes when it comes to really making a dent in the numbers uh, affected with diabetes? Yeah, I mean, nutrition is a huge component to that, you know, and you think about testing your blood sugar and your insulin levels and all of those things, that's directly related to what you're putting in your body. And I think that not only in indigenous populations or tribal communities, um, our food has sort of moved away from the fresh, grown from the ground. It's becoming more processed. It's becoming more filled with different things that we're not quite sure is what's in there. You know, and that's kind of becoming the norm. But really uh, trying to sort of take a step back to 
our roots as people, you know, what's actually good for our bodies, what's from the earth, what is, what are we supposed to be putting in? And um, I think we get really uh, tripped up on having things quick and easy and fast and convenient, um, which, you know, that's part of the modern world. But again, like what you said, just making those little small changes, you know, maybe incorporating one little extra thing or changing the recipe of your meal just ever so slightly to include a vegetable or being open to trying a new fresh fruit or vegetable. Um, and it can be scary, you know, and, um, but, but again, yeah, it's, you know, that's what we're putting into our body as energy, you know, and our body needs that to move throughout our day. And I think it's easy to um, take it for granted, right, you know, mm -hmm. our health and our movement. But, again, it's, it's kind of coming back to those natural roots of uh, what are we supposed to be putting in our body, what, did, you know, what comes from the earth, um, and how can we be more closely connected to that um, versus other things that are a little bit more processed and less natural. It's very interesting. Whether we're talking about high blood pressure, diabetes, the research shows as we incorporate more of these plant foods into our diet and eat less, especially of those commercial animal products that are high in fat, our blood pressure comes down, our diabetes risk decreases, our blood sugars get better. And uh, we're going to give you some contact information for Geneva and some of the resources that she has in just a moment. If you didn't catch the other resource page that we have for you, it's there on our Compass Health website. That's compasshealth.net. And if you go to our free resources link there on our homepage, go to the seminar resources and drawing. You'll see that there's uh, special pricing on our resources. Anyone can take advantage of that. Uh, Native Americans, if you're an enrolled tribal member, you can actually have all those funds reimbursed to you if you actually use them. And, uh, Special offers there, too. We've also got free videos and other things where you can watch some things that illustrate what we've been talking about. But you've got great resources, too, Geneva, and folks like you and others who are connected with CRIB. How do people tap into some of the diabetes resources that you folks have developed? Um, yeah, you can always email me. Um, my email address is J, like Geneva or Julie, and Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-O-N at crib.org. Okay. Um, and we're happy to, to share stuff that we've come up with, but also to mention that, you know, collaboration is huge and there's a lot of different resources that exist out there. So also helping connect and facilitate um, linking people to other resources that exist is also a part of our job. Um, so if you didn't catch that email address, it's Geneva. She spells her name with a J. So it's J Sorensen. S-O-R-E-N-S-O-N, -S -S like someone's son, even though she's a daughter, at CRIB. And if you've been listening from the beginning of the show, you know that's the California Rural Indian Health Board, and it's spelled C-R-I-H-B, at least the initials, C-R-I-H-B dot org. So Jay Sorensen at C-R-I-H-B dot org. Julie... You and I were speaking, Geneva, all three of us, we were together there at the uh, crib offices in Sacramento not long ago. And one of the things that came up is actually, uh, we didn't realize it at the time, but within a few days, we'll all be visiting some of our northern tribes. I'll be giving a lecture dealing with high blood pressure and diabetes the day after you're doing some work at the same facility. And as we were speaking, 
you had some observations, Julie, as you travel around California and beyond about some of the reaction of elders when it comes to diabetes prevention services. Sure. So um, from what I have personally observed, I do believe that, you know, always, always giving and providing education so our elders especially feel comfortable because we're introducing and we're prescribing them new medications that they're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And they're also not familiar with uh, the side effects of some of the medications that we're giving them. So what I have seen are is the fear of taking a new medication, and then it takes anywhere from a week to two weeks to get used to this and get this into your system, mm-hmm. and it makes them feel not so good in the beginning. Taking the time to talk to folks in advance when you're introducing something new to them, how it's going to make them feel, and, you know, just reassuring them that over time it gets better, that it will help them, but also giving them that natural method that we've talked about of increasing that exercise from five minutes to maybe ten minutes. Mm Mm-hmm when we're creating a meal, like Geneva said, adding a new vegetable, the fear of the unknown is what I see. And there's some simple things that we can do to change things and make our communities feel a little more comfortable. Well, very good. We do have to step away. We're going to be coming back with more from Julie and Geneva in our final segment of American Indian Living. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose speaking with uh, some of the team members of CRIB, the California Rural Indian Health Board. And uh, we've got an amazing story coming up in just uh, just a moment from Julie. But before we do, Geneva, just a little bit more feel for the group that you work with. We've been talking about CRIB uh, throughout the show, but some people are saying, well, you've been talking with two people. I mean, is CRIB two people, three? I mean, how large an organization are you? Yeah, um, CRIB is, has probably about 70 to 80 employees that spans from Head Start teachers to dental programming to health systems and electronic health records and IT management to research and public health, domestic violence, behavioral health, uh, legislation and policy. I mean, we we cover the whole gamut. So we are are truly just one little tiny slice of the crib pie. And basically, you ladies and the rest of your team are there to serve California tribes. Is that safe to say a California tribe can get on the phone and call you and access your resources? Yep, and we do have a different level of resources. Um, some tribes are member tribes of CRIB, meaning that they have representatives that sit on our board. Um, but yes, we, you know, we're available for for California tribes and and anyone really. We're here to be a resource and to help. So again, the website. Give that to us in case someone wants to reach out directly through the internet. Sure, it's uh, C R I H B. Org, so that stands for the California Rural Indian Health Board, C-R-I-H-B dot org. Great. And then your email addresses all have that uh, ending, C-R-I-H-B dot org. Give us yours again, Geneva, if someone wants to go communicate with you about chronic disease prevention. Sure. So J, like Jelly Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-O. O-N at crib.org, Geneva Sorensen, Jay Sorensen. And, Julie, we're going to hear a story from you in just a minute, but if someone wants to connect with you or if they're impacted by things that you're sharing, want to just contact you, how do they do that electronically? They can contact me at jvilla at crihb.org. So we've been talking in this show about things that can impact chronic diseases. And I'll be the first one to admit that many times people listen to dialogue about prevention, and it doesn't seem all that compelling. It's much more glamorous in the medical field to save someone's life with an electric shock in the emergency room or an emergency surgery. Prevention isn't all that glamorous but it is a huge factor. And Julie, you had something that touched your own life that really drew you into this field and illustrates the power of prevention. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, I was working with my own tribe, and I really wanted to focus on getting a tribal ordinance or car seats or seatbelt ordinance passed in my community. 
So I came up with the, the statistics, you know, the cost of a, a child being involved in a crash versus the cost of the clinic. But I also wanted to do something what I call is impact that little heart and gut. So I created a digital story, and this is a story of my a personal story um, about my brother. So my brother was 23 years old. He was um, a Marine, a desert storm. He came home. Um, he was home two nights, and then he went out with his buddies, and he was in a, a car crash with a redwood tree, which the redwood tree was absolutely non-forgiving. My brother was not wearing a seatbelt. Mm. Um, so the importance of this story and how it impacted my tribal community is it doesn't just end there when somebody passes away. It's more of a domino effect because in a small community especially, everyone knows everyone at some point in time, they've interacted with them, even helped raise these kids. You know, it does take that community to raise a child. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a dry eye socket in the room. Everybody was crying. And so, you know, sometimes when you want to get a message across and you want something passed in your communities, you know, sometimes you need to appeal not only by statistics and money, but the feeling, like what I said again, the heart and guts of folks. And we do currently have a tribal ordinance on our reservation, um, car seats and seatbelts. Our tribal police department, is they're all certified child passenger safety technicians, um, and they do provide car seats to the community. So the reason this is so important, if some are tuning in, they're not Native, they're saying, well, what's the significance? It's because on many tribal roadways, the tribe itself may not have ordinances about seatbelt usage or car seats, and it's not uncommon, right, for someone, while they're on the res or tribal lands, not to be wearing seatbelts, to feel like, you know, this is a, an advantage of, of driving on tribal roadways. Isn't that the, the case? Correct. That is absolutely the case. And I see it in every single tribe that I travel out to. And that's why the education and the early intervention is so important. I think this brings us back to Geneva and chronic disease, because many times, I don't want to call them the enemies of public health, but often the worst people when it comes to public health are our own selves. We somehow think that public health professionals are trying to take away our freedom. They're trying to make us wear seatbelts and restrict our access to things like commercial tobacco and, and make us feel uncomfortable if all we want to do is just sit and relax for a week and watch television. And they're telling us to get up and exercise. Geneva, how does this all come full circle when we speak about preventing diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure? Well, I love that story that Julie shared because it's that impact of an individual, right? You know, like that, the ripple effect that that can have and just, you know, Julie taking the initiative to to kind of use her story and use her experience to do something for her community. Um, and I just have heard, you know, a lot of really great success stories through this ACORNS funding. I'm thinking of one particularly of a, um, one of our grantees is actually a landless tribe. Um, and so having access to places to exercise or different things like that is not really an option. And so they were able to, you know, create sort of a wellness center within their tribal buildings. And um, mm. one of the employees really got into it now that he had access to some of this equipment. And he started making these changes in his own life. And that really inspired him to then 
invite his family. And so he invited his family. He started going on walks every evening with his family. And the story that he was telling, you know, it became this sort of um, thing that they did together. And they became closer together. Their relationships were stronger. They were feeling good and feeling healthy. I mean, yeah, they lost some weight, but it was much more than that, right? You know, it was this kind of full-compassing approach to health of giving an opportunity um, to work together towards something as a family or as a community, you know, and other stories of people working in the garden where it might not even be just about the nutritious food that they get access to, but getting their hands in, in the dirt and, and having that be therapeutic in a way. Um, I think just making any of those little small decisions that can impact your health you know, it really does send a ripple effect out, and it inspires the people around you, um, and it just promotes and creates a space for wellness and healing um, and connectivity, and I think that is really the true magic of prevention. You know, it's really hard to quantify, but it's those sort of subtle ways that move out um, and can really impact an individual, their family, and their community at large. I mean, this is such a great message because, like you said, Geneva, so many times we think something is too small. I mean, what difference will a small exercise facility make, uh, some exercise equipment? This really came home to me when we were writing the book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. In our chapter on exercise, you reminded me of this because some tribes, they might not be in a position. They may not have that grant to put in the exercise room or the exercise facilities. But we talk about something as simple as one of those little grip strength devices Someone just holding that, sustaining uh, pressure on a grip strength device. They've done a number of studies now, over 20 studies, over 1,000 people in those studies, just showing that doing this grip strength exercise, you can be sitting in your chair, you can be watching television, doing this can actually lower blood pressure as much as 13 points systolic if done consistently. So, I mean, some of this stuff, I mean, is just amazing. And uh, by the way, if you didn't catch it on this show, that book, if you're a Native American, you can get, get it free. We'll refund the price of it if you actually use it as part of a program. That's uh, all available on our Compass Health Dot net site. You go to our free resources and you'll see the details right there under the seminar resources link. But we've got other resources for you too. Those are available through CRIB, the California Rural Indian Health Board. Uh, one more time, Julie, how does someone get a hold of your organization? So at crihd.org. So just remember that name, the California Rural Indian Health Board. And if you can remember that name, those initials are simple from there. California Rural Indian Health Board, just C-R-I-H-B dot O-R-G. A lot of great information, ladies. Thank you both so much for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dr. Rose. Thank you. We've got to run. Hopefully today's show has made a difference for you. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. A family health history quiz.